We're going to be in Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 27 this morning. The title of the sermon is, Jesus is Coming Back. As you're finding Mark chapter 13, I'll share with you briefly one of the unexpected pleasures of being a pastor and a preacher, maybe not pleasures, unexpected entertainments, is that I get this unique vantage point during the sermon. You know, you all are looking this direction, roughly, during a sermon, but I'm looking that direction, and I get to witness the struggle to stay awake. And it's not all of you all the time, and it's not any one of you all the time, but Sometimes it is very difficult to stay awake during a sermon. And I recognize that. I acknowledge that. And I understand that. I don't often sit in sermons. It's usually when I do, it's, it's those occasions where maybe I have a family member, a, a funeral that I attend. And I remember it is difficult to stay awake. Some of you stayed up late last night. Any of you stay up late last night for various reasons? No? Matt Larkin did. Okay, a couple of people did. Some of you are up late last night. Some of you aren't sleeping well these days, I know. For various reasons, some of us are, are struggling in the area of sleep. For some of you, you're just working really, really hard, and this is the first time, perhaps, that you have slowed down and stopped and, and sat still without doing anything. And that catches up to you. When you've been running really hard and working really hard, your body has a way of just keeping going. There's sort of an adrenaline. But when you sit still, your body thinks, okay, now I can go to sleep. And it sort of washes over you. You're sitting here and it's still and quiet. And people are reading to you. It's really not fair. It's almost like it's designed to make you fall asleep. So how do you stay awake when everything around you is working against it? How do you stay awake physically when everything around you is working against it, trying to lull you to sleep? Now, I don't just say that to make you paranoid about the fact that I am watching you. That's a, that's a nice side benefit. I say that to segue into a deeper topic. Just like physically, we are sometimes lulled to sleep when we don't want to be or when we shouldn't be, the same thing happens to us spiritually. Did you know that there is a cosmic conspiracy to lull us to spiritual sleep? Our flesh works against us. That's what the Bible calls that part of you that's not fully given over and sanctified. Our flesh sort of wants to fall away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about that like drifting away. It also talks about that like sleep, spiritual sleep. The world is designed by our enemy, Satan, to lull us to spiritual apathy, spiritual numbness, dullness, sleep. Satan himself is determined to keep us from being spiritually alert and awake. So how do we stay spiritually awake when everything works against it. Our passage this morning answers that question. Mark chapter 13, 24 through 27. It comes in a chapter, Mark chapter 13, in which Jesus is laying out signs of the closing of the age. The Jewish people were always looking for when this age was going to come to a close, this age that was marked by Satan's rule and sin, and strife, and sickness, and war, 
and darkness. They were looking for when that age was going to come to a close and a new age was going to begin. The age when God would be enthroned and God would rule. Wars would cease. Sin would be no more. An age of righteousness. Again, this is what they thought. We're hoping Jesus was going to bring in to effect when he entered Jerusalem. And he did begin to bring it about. He just hasn't fully completed it yet. So Jesus here is teaching his disciples. This is after he's entered Jerusalem, before he's going to be betrayed and arrested. Jesus is teaching his disciples signs of the closing of the age. And the point is, and his point in telling them this, is that they needed to stay awake and alert because Jesus was going to come back and he was going to bring the new age with him. And the point's the same for us. We need to stay awake and alert because Jesus is coming back. And in anticipating Jesus' return keeps us spiritually awake. If you are here and you know that you are spiritually sluggish, and if you're honest in your heart, you're, you're apathetic toward the things of God, and you are drifting away, beginning to conform to the ways of the world, this is your antidote. This is your wake-up call. This is your unexpected clap in the middle of a sermon. This is your hot cup of coffee spiritually. Jesus Christ is coming back. And in this passage, he gives us not everything there is to say about his return, but three things, which is sufficient for us this morning. And we'll look at them under the headings of darkening, arriving, and gathering. First, we'll see that we need to anticipate the darkening of all that is bright in this world and in this age. Let's look at verses 24 and 25 of Mark chapter 13. Jesus says, But in those days, after that tribulation, which he just described in the passage before, but that's a sermon for another Sunday. In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now this is a day that is coming. This is not presented as figurative. It's presented here and elsewhere all through the Bible as a day that is coming. Literally. What it will be like and look like, we we can't really know. We've never experienced anything like it. One passage describes it as the heavens being rolled up like a scroll. And that was their technology back then. We don't use scrolls now. In modern day language, you can think of it as the heavens shutting down like a smartphone. 1 Peter 3.10 describes it like this. I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So we need to try as best we can to visualize this and picture this. So just imagine yourself on a a normal mundane Tuesday. Maybe you're at work. And all of a sudden the sun stops giving its light. 
and it goes dark in the middle of the day, and there was no publicized eclipse coming. It's totally unexpected. Or maybe you're out on the ball field with your kids or your grandkids, and all of a sudden it goes dark, and the photocell lights click on because they think it's nighttime, but it's the middle of the day. Or maybe you're at home, and something doesn't seem right, and you go outside, and where should be stars is black. Or maybe it's right now, and we're sitting in this sanctuary, and all of a sudden the, the brightness out of these windows goes dark. Imagine it's happening right now. Now, how would that change your attitude towards spiritual things? In that moment, how would that reorganize your priorities? Because that day is coming. And we're tempted to spiritual sleep, spiritual lethargy, when we forget that one day all that appears bright in this world is going to go dark. It's going to go dim. We are constantly tempted by our flesh, by Satan, our enemy, by this world that he has designed. We're constantly tempted to live for temporary things as if they were eternal. So we devote our lives to good things, our careers, that's a career is a good thing. Our families, families are great. Our homes that we build, all that's good stuff, but not eternal. And one day this temporary age is going to come to a close and all that seemed bright and brilliant and important and immovable. will melt, as another passage describes it. Will be revealed how temporary it really is. And so you may say, if you're honest, well, that just sounds terrifying. That doesn't sound like good news. Happy I came to church on Palm Sunday. Well, it, it, I, I think it will be terrifying. But it won't be bad because of what's next. The next verse back in Mark chapter 13 Verse 26, after all that appears bright in this age grows dark and dim. Verse 26, and then they will see the Son of Man, that's the prophetic title of the coming King, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now think about Jesus' arrivals up to this point. You have his arrival that we celebrate at Christmas time in a manger. You have his arrival that we celebrate Palm Sunday into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now let's look ahead into the future. The most important date in human future, Jesus' second coming. He won't be a baby in a manger And he won't be on a donkey. He'll be coming in clouds. Now, if you know your Bibles, particularly through the Old Testament, an arrival in clouds, the clouds are associated with God himself. This is clearly looking at the divinity of Jesus Christ as he comes. All will recognize. All will see it. Initially, he came in lowliness. And then he entered Jerusalem in meekness. But when he returns, it will be in power and glory. He came in relative secrecy, 
in the incarnation and what we celebrate at Christmas time. He came amid great misunderstanding when he entered Jerusalem. But when he returns in the second coming, at the close of this age, everyone's going to recognize him for who he is. There will be no doubt. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 10, talks about Jesus Christ like this. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, has highly exalted Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So when he returns, after everything that seemed to previously have been so brilliant and bright in this world goes dark, Jesus Christ will emerge in clouds. Somehow, I can't visualize it, I can't understand how. And when that happens, everybody is going to recognize him for who he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The most powerful human leader will bow before the power of Jesus Christ when he returns. The most glorious human celebrity will bow before the glory of Jesus Christ when he returns. In the Oval Office of the White House, there will be humble bowing down to the ground before the King of Kings. On the red carpet, if he returns during the Oscars, and all those celebrities in all their wonderful dresses and tuxedos, they will bow to the ground in awe and reverence and terror at the coming of the glorious one, Jesus Christ. We are tempted to go to sleep and we forget that he's coming back. He's going to return. It's so difficult. I'm not going to speak for all of us. For me, it is so difficult to really live in light of this as a a solid fact because it seems so remote, doesn't it? I was trying to think of an illustration for this, and I thought of the image of a tightrope. Is it possible for a man to walk on a tightrope that's only secured at one side? No, without it being secured to both sides, it's just a limp coil on the ground. Now, we have our tightrope. If you think of Christianity as a tightrope, we have one end pretty firmly secured. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ historical fact. It happened. We have the testimony of eyewitnesses. That's the linchpin of why we believe everything so strongly in Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. And we've got that secured. That end of the tightrope is secure, and we're grateful, and we, so we come together, and we worship. We try to live in light of the fact of what he's done in history for us. But on the other end of the tightrope, what I don't think is often as secure is the fact that he's coming back. That he didn't do all that for us so we could live a comfortable life here in this world. That we live between the times of when he began bringing the kingdom into place and when he's going to finish it. And we need both to keep the Christian life taut. We need both to keep the tension that keeps us awake spiritually. We need the gratitude for what he's done and the anticipation for what he's about to do. Think about how different it is for us from these early Christians. If you were one of them, the the resurrection just happened. 
And they really believed the return was about to happen any minute. So for them, the tightrope was about as like this long. So they were just standing there. But for us, the resurrection was thousands of years ago. And since he hasn't returned yet, it might as well be another several thousands of years. We don't know. And when the resurrection becomes a distant memory on that horizon, and when the return becomes a distant notion on that horizon, the rope gets slack. And we get sleepy spiritually, and we think, well, this is what life is. I want to be a Christian. I want to have what he did for me, but I like life in this world. I really, if I'm honest, I don't... I don't want Jesus to return. I like what I have going here. I'm pretty comfortable with this. I I feel forgiven and good about that. I feel cleaned up. I like my daily devotions and going to church, and that's pretty good. Do I really want Jesus to come and for the sun to stop shining? I like my evening routine. I like my bowl of ice cream and my Netflix. I like my kids. I want to see them grow up. I like my work that I'm doing right now. I'm in a good place. All those things are good. But they're so, so temporary. And even if Jesus didn't come back today, I promise you when you get to the end of your lifespan, it will have seemed so fast, so brief. We've got to keep the the Christian life taught. We've got to keep both our gratitude in Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf tight and we've got to keep our anticipation of his return tight and then we can stay spiritually awake we're like kids at grandma's house you know when you're a kid and you're at your grandma's house yeah you love your parents you like the idea of parents but you're a grandma's house anything goes watch tv as late as you want drink chocolate syrup right from the can I had a cousin who said when he would go to pick up his kids from their grandparents' house, they would run and scream and hide as if Al-Qaeda just burst through the front door. We're a lot like kids at Grandma's house. It wasn't this, this is not normal for Christians to feel like this. If you think globally and historically, most of the time Christians have not had a really easy time in this world. The norm is persecution and marginalization. American Christianity is this weird thing where we've been culturally embraced for so long that we're really, really pretty comfortable here at Grandma's house. And we know Jesus is coming. It's going to be good. But we're having so much fun. We forget how much better it's going to be when he does come. We can forget what our destiny is as God's people. And that brings us to our third and final point from this passage. We, let's anticipate the darkening of all that seems so bright in this world. Let's anticipate the return of our powerful and glorious King, Jesus Christ. And finally, let's anticipate the gathering of the elect. In verse 27 of Mark chapter 13. After the darkening and the arriving... And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. He'll send out his angels and gather his elect 
from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. It's, the emphasis is on everybody. So we forget that this is not home for us. The Bible talks about us as ambassadors in a foreign land. We're ambassadors for the kingdom of God in a foreign land. We're representatives of another country, the kingdom of God. Local churches are like embassies in foreign lands for the kingdom of God. Some of our outposts are more comfortable than others, but they're all temporary. And one day the king is going to come and he's going to call all the ambassadors back. He's going to close down all the embassies, call all the ambassadors back to the kingdom of God. He's going to establish his worldwide rule over everything. Some of the embassies are amidst intense persecution. Some of the ambassadors do their work amidst cultures that are intensely against the message of the kingdom of God. Some are in the the midst of the deepest darkness. And Jesus is going to come and call them back home. And their, their duties as ambassadors will have come to a close. Now this means a couple of things for us. For one, as Christians, as the church, when we see what looks like decline... And we do see what looks like decline even as our own local church. We often see signs and wonder, are we in decline? We see it as a denomination. And I'll let you know, I know a lot of pastors from other churches and other denominations, and they see it too among their own churches and their own denominations. Here in the American church, it's it's looking like decline. And it can get discouraging. But let's remember our destiny. The gates of hell will not prevail over the church. Jesus said he would build his church, and God is still electing people. He's still adding to the church those who are being saved, just like he did in Acts. He is sovereign over all this, hence the word elect. He will send out his angels and gather his elect, those who before the foundations of the earth he determined he would call to himself. And there's a promise hidden in here. That whenever that day comes, let's say it is another 2,000 years in the future, there will be the elect. There will still be Christians. There will still be ambassadors. There will still be embassies. There will still be local churches. The work of God will continue on until Jesus returns. God's elect will exist, and not just here in America, but all over the world, the the, the four winds, the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Remember how big this is, what we're a part of. We're tempted to spiritual sleep when we forget this destiny, that we're a part of the unstoppable march of God himself to gather unto himself a people from every tribe, every nation, and every people. And in that day, he'll call the elect from Asia, and Africa, and North America, and South America, and Europe, and Australia. He'll send the angels out to believers in Afghanistan, and the Bahamas, and Cambodia, and Denmark. They'll go to the four winds of Ecuador, and Fiji, and Germany, and Haiti, gathering God's elect, God's people. 
They'll go to the ends of the earth, to Iceland and Jamaica and Kazakhstan and Latvia, gathering God's people who will be there, God's elect. He'll be gathering people from every tribe, from Madagascar, Nepal, Pakistan, and Qatar. He'll be gathering for himself a people of every language, from Romania to Saudi Arabia to Taiwan to Uganda. All these elect, all these people, all these ambassadors gathered in. And then he will establish his rule over the world. That's our destiny. That's what we're a part of. And it's coming and it will happen. Jesus is coming back. Let us not fall into spiritual sleep. Let's not mistake the temporary for the eternal. Let's not forget Jesus' impending return. Let's not forget our destiny. Let's live in spiritual wakefulness in light of eternity in anticipation of our coming powerful and glorious King in light of our destiny as His people. Let's pray. Father, thank You for what you have done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the promise of his return as our victorious Lord and King. Please help us to live in light of both realities. Please protect us from spiritual lethargy. Help us to stay awake and alert this Easter as we celebrate, as As we have many opportunities to speak of him, let us live and speak and prioritize and spend and schedule and arrange our whole lives in light of what's true. Jesus is coming back. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.